your revenue and your sales are your offense and your expenses are your defense. And if you're a defensive minded person, then you're not that fun to play for. If you're an offensive person and you like to score, then you're a fan favorite because scoring's fun and exciting. The second thing is, is you gotta wanna go for it. I mean, at the end of the day, people would rather go behind somebody that goes for it and fails because of all the lessons you learn doing it and the the excitement and the charge of of doing that as opposed to punting. So don't ever punt, always go for it. Welcome to The Climb. I'm your co-host, Michael Moore, sitting down with a longtime friend, Fort Worth resident, businessman, Matt Johnson, and as always joined by my co-host, Bob Wirma. Bob, how are things up in Chicago today? Everything is good, and I definitely want to start off asking Matt why he's good friends with you, but we can get into that later. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Good question. So, Matt, we, we always do as much research as we can in finding out a little bit about our guests ahead of time, but I think... To me, what's most intriguing about you is is the one word, briefly, that it says on your LinkedIn profile, and that's entrepreneur. And I've met a lot of them. I know a lot of them. I work with a lot of them. But I don't know that anybody necessarily defines that better than the way that I've watched your career over the 10, 12, 15 years that we've known each other. So we're definitely going to dive into what that word means to you and how you've defined that. But something that's interesting to me, because this doesn't happen very often, Bob and I of the 30 plus podcasts that we put together so far, while some of them have come from word of mouth, it's mostly us asking people to be on our podcast. But when you and I were talking about finding a car for my daughter, you said, hey, can I be on your podcast? Which I think just goes to the fact that you're a curious person, but maybe just start out in telling us why you wanted to come on the podcast. Well, that's uh, that's probably the best description is curious. My parents and my parents' friends used to say I was an ex- exhausting, inquisitive kid growing up. I would, I would ask enough questions of an adult to where they would just literally move chairs because <laughs> they didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And it was all how or why I would, I would, I would consider myself kind of more of a, what they call a disruptive entrepreneur. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm an Elon Musk cause he's, or a Richard Branson. They're probably the, the top of the chain when it comes to it. But it's, it's looking at something that you experience whether that we experience every day, whether you're buying something or experiencing something and you, you look at it and you go, why has this been done the same way for so long? And why hasn't anybody tried to change it? And I I guess the, the easy answer is nobody likes change, Mm -hmm. but my mentor in the car business, Jerry Durant told me one time, and I'll quote him is saying the only thing constant is change and being an entrepreneur. So, yeah. So I would, I would sum it up like that. Uh, but to answer your question, 
I was curious. I mean, I you couldn't you couldn't have uh, nailed it any easier than that about you know, and and sometimes it actually helps you think about what you've done and what you've forgotten that you did, and and then you go, you know what, that actually worked. I, I want to do that again for this or or that. So it helps me actually to do more thinking. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're all. Bob's a little younger than us, but we're all getting into that phase of life where we're certainly playing the second half of the game. Exactly. And so it, it's time to get more reflective. And and that's really a passion behind this podcast is just getting your story out there. So so with that, the local Fort Worth, North Texas audience knows your story well. But for for our, our guests outside of the great state of Texas and, and up in Chicago with Bob, and it's going to be hard to do it and give it justice. But I think something you mentioned when we were prepping earlier about the knowledge that you gained in the car business, you're going to have a new customer. You're going to have a repeat customer. The customer is going to need maintenance, et cetera. And then how you blended that game plan into what you've done with Defender Outdoors. Just give us some insight into that whole business plan and how you ex- executed it. Well, uh, when it comes to customer service, it takes patience and money. And a lot of times when you start a business, regardless of what industry you're in, everybody looks at the expense side. And the bottom line is, is I like to say, excuse the analogy, but it's kind of like when, if you were to plan a garden, and you have all these different kinds of vegetables and everything, you kind of just have to let them grow rampant before you get in and start manicuring it. Or like, let's say any, anything, you kind of have to let it go crazy and you have to get lots of people in so that you can then learn the standard operating procedures and the policies that you need to put in place in order to keep that. And it's very important that when you're drinking from that fire hose, that you teach everybody, everybody has to leave here happy because we can't have a bad review up front. And so when you combine those two things, when you say we will gain everybody's positive reviews, regardless of how much it costs. So if you need to give anything away, give it away. If you if you give them the the instruments and the call it the authority to make those decisions, then you can t- tame it down after the fact where where like, again, going back to that thing, traditionally, when you start a business, everybody looks at it too much from the expense side. Mm-hmm. Matt, when you say that, so are you saying kind of letting things go a little bit wild and out of control so that then you can see how you operate in that chaos and see what works. Yes. Is that kind of what you mean? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. It just took me 30 seconds. To say <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm known just, for that I'm too. Just, but I, but it, makes it, it makes a ton of sense. Let, let me throw this in there too, because it's also, I mean, you, you mentioned like an Elon Musk or, or a Richard Branson, and hopefully we'll have time for that story as well. But as a disruptor, to me, as someone that buys cars, you definitely disrupted that industry. And what I mean by that is the dread 
nothing against other car dealerships. It's the dread of going in, not really knowing what you want, having to fill out a bunch of paperwork just to test drive one car. Then you want to test drive four and they don't have time for that. So you got to come back. Then you decide that you actually want one of these cars, but you're not talking to the right person. And then it goes round and round. And like you said, to hell with that type of business, pick out what kind of car you want on my website. I will deliver it to your house, <laughs> keep it for the night, for the, I don't care, keep it as long as you want. And then when you're ready to make a deal, I'll show up or one of my guys will show up. We'll sign it on the hood and the car is yours. And oh, by the way, when you need your oil changed, I'll come pick it up for you then. So like you took customer service from sort of an accepted norm, I think. Everybody just thought that's the way you bought a car. Perfect. And then, then you could argue, okay, well, online changed that a little bit. And, and you made it the best car buying experience possible. So how did you come up with that? So let's, let's call it shock and awe. Okay. What you want in anywhere in business is you want people talking about you, right? And that's your best form of advertising. Okay. So in order to do that, you've got to, you've got to awe. I learned this actually, ironically, when GM declared bankruptcy, so the company went completely null and void. So what happens is the new GMs formed, and then they have to come out and contractually recut all of the dealer agreements again with who they want to keep. It was, it's a, it was a very stressful time because nobody knew who was going to be asked to still be a dealer. But long story short, what was in that contract was that we as dealers had to agree to go to Disney employee school. So believe it or not, under Magic Kingdom at Disney World is a employee training program. And every single GM dealer was forced when we signed our new dealer agreements to go through this program. I could spend two hours on this, but to answer your question, they say that every customer that comes into Disney you need them to go, huh, that's cool. And if you can do that, they will be back. Yeah. So I will say the same thing in the car business or any of my other businesses is you have to get the customer to go, huh, that's cool. Like that's different. I like that. Now you can make that paid for as you can make that paid advertising. So it's just people's concept of looking at financials, they say, well, I, if I'm coming to get Michael Moore's car for service, how am I going to pay for that? Like, I'm not going to charge him for going to get it. So you say, well, I could use that as an advertising charge mm -hmm. and, and offset it. And then what's going to happen is Michael Moore's going to be sitting at dinner or someone and, Hey, how was your day? Oh, you're not going to believe this, but Matt came and picked up my car. And 90% of the time, that's what happens is when we gain a new customer, it was, I was at dinner with this guy and they told me I had to buy my car from you. And that's when I know that that was the best advertising spent was paying my people to come get your car. Mm -hmm. So that's just one example. And then by virtue of where the dealership is, I would assume the 
real estate overhead like versus operating one in downtown Dallas or Chicago. Like you've got an advantage there from just a cost perspective. Oh, I'm in I'm in a town of actually 4,000 people. Right. You, know. you sell more cars per year than there are people in the town. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yes, Matt, that's correct. For, Matt, for the listeners, where where is that located outside of Fort Worth? How far? It's 81 miles door to door for me. And I live in the heart of Fort Worth. It's in a little town called Whitesboro, Texas. I actually have five stores now. Uh, two are in Whitesboro. Tour in Graham, Texas. And then my most recent purchase is in a little town of Gordon, Texas, which is a population of 124 people. So I'm I'm definitely looking at new challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you have you have that ability based on that model, and you'll come all the way to Fort Worth. Yes. To deliver a car to somebody. Oh, actually, it gets a little crazier than that. No, we, we deliver cars. If you really look at where we sell, we sell all over the U.S. Amazon and eBay and everybody has made it a heck of a lot tolerable for somebody to wire us money um, without seeing the car first. But that's the new norm, you know, for a lot of people. And so with, with this sort of foundational belief in this service model, right? And getting people to say, wow, and, and word of mouth being the best advertising out there. Mm -hmm. How did you go about continuing to build that and then thinking about expanding into the warranty programs that you have and then getting into the law enforcement work that you've done? That, that service aspect, because I've been in or experienced most of your concepts is probably the biggest constant. So talk about how you thought through that. So again, kind of going back to it is if you don't like the way in which something is is being done, then change it and take control of it. I kind of, I took some of these ideas from my mentor, but you mentioned warranty. So, you know, there's rules to the manufacturer warranties. You've got to call this phone number to get this record service. They tow it to the nearest dealership. And whenever that dealership opens, that's when they'll look at your car. You don't have any control over it. Well, I don't like that. I want control over my customer and I want control over what they can do and when they can do it. So I created my own warranty company. And so now, I, I mean, it doesn't matter if they go to Joe's Garage, whatever's open in Timbuktu, and I can give them a credit card over the phone. And I do do some diligence of, of checking what service manuals they're using, what parts are they using, stuff that protects my customer. But all in all, owning my own warranty company, worst case scenario, I can say, you know what? There's, there's not a whole lot of options there for you. So I'm coming to get it. Right. And I'm going to bring you a suburban and, and there's a ton of stories of, of all the roads going between New Mexico and Colorado for vacations of me picking up people along 287 yeah. <laughs> and having my driver unload their entire suburban into a brand new suburban and say, we'll take care of this when you get back again. That story, the, the term viral or podcast or social media, 
that one gets the most likes that one gets the most shares is is those situations and and then we gain a ton of customers because of it mm-hmm. and so taking that from the car business then into start talking about some of your other business ventures and and how that that same epiphany and I don't want to use the word business plan but you kind of overlaid the concepts allowed you to continue to build your empire. Well, and I'm going to be very careful to how I say this, but so we have different generations of workers and, and gosh, just we've, we all know that in the last two years, we've seen dramatic changes in the way we do business and the way we pay people and what we demand of them. And so I decided to get into the restaurant business probably because I was told that was the biggest challenge. And it's very tough. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all. But one of the things that's interesting uh, when I first got in it, okay, so, and so we're, we're talking about uh, Courtside Kitchen, which is my pickleball restaurant and bar, and we get it all built and we're ready to hire. And I come in and I say, how many how many applicants do we have today? And they said, we got six last night. And I go, six, like six yesterday or last night, six total yesterday. I said, well, what what does it say? What's the ad say? Uh, And they said, well, it's, you know, standard 217 an hour plus tips. And I go, (laughs) all right, I go, how much, and knowing that I know nothing about the restaurant business. So I'm sitting there with a, as seasoned management saying, okay, guys, what's the average server make in the restaurant business at a good, at a decent restaurant, not like a Del Frisco's or something like that, but just a, a regular middle, you know, costing restaurant. And I said, oh, probably 16, $18 an hour. All right. Change the ad to guaranteed $16 an hour as a server. And let's see what happens. Yeah. And so we got over 250 applications in 24 hours. Wow. Okay. So what did I lose there? Uh, immediately, my management says, you're insane. You, you know, n- nobody's ever done that. And I go, but you just told me that that's what they make on average. I go, what this generation is, is smarter than the previous one. Right. And, and they say, hey, I'm going to go to work where somebody has as much faith in me as I have in them. And it's a trust. And if you trust who you work for and you trust your workers, you're then you're on a great wavelength. And then you can start talking about customer service and new ideas and things like that. But that's just one story about being a little disruptive. And I've noticed, ironically, that I've seen some job postings of other restaurants now guaranteeing (laughs) a higher wage than 217 plus tips. The the only place that I saw that early on was when the the oil boom really with with horizontal drilling capabilities outside of the Barnett Show, when it really hit North Dakota. And I had to spend a bunch of time up there with a client and they just had a staffing issue. I mean, just trying to get workers to staff the one McDonald's in Williston, North Dakota. And it was like, if you'll come work here, we'll give you a $1,500 signing bonus and $15 an hour. 
And I was like, I have never <laughs> seen that in the restaurant industry in my life. And of course, it was it was a highly sought after job. But that was a moment in time. As soon as the oil boom finished in North Dakota, then it went back to 217 plus tips, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I, I think that uh, the new generations, like I said, is they go, I don't mind being on a commission, but don't put me in the and and down a hole. Right. You know, let's let's talk more realistic averages and lifestyle, you know, that and I and I and I've learned early, early on that turnover is the costliest thing that is very hard to quantify. And when you're looking at financials and uh, there are tons of very, very good business people that just have no problem with their turnover. But I can I could probably tell you with 70 percent certainty, maybe 90, that those people, if they change their mind on that, they would probably increase their bottom line by 20 percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. I'm throwing out, you know, random figures, but. Matt, when you when you talk about, I want to go back because you had mentioned just the point around, hey, you know, we're we're doing something different here. We're going to do this approach, sixteen, eighteen dollars an hour. As you're thinking through that, and I'm sure it's gone through your brain in a bunch of the other ventures. Like, what is your process through thinking of disrupting a business? Because I think you know we're in a business where the blinders are on the whole time, and it's hard to kind of step out of what we do every day. So how do you start to, whether it's yourself or other people on your team, think more freely in these environments where, you know, certain things have been done for a long time? Probably the first homework I give them is to go watch the movie Forrest Gump. As I say, here's a perfect example of a guy that is mentally challenged enough to not know why you shouldn't do something and he does it. And so, yes, am I calling myself possibly mentally challenged? Yes, I am. <laughs> because I, like I said, I'm, I don't have a business degree. A lot of people, I don't have an MBA. Somebody had to tell me what the acronym for EBITDA was after I had started my first company. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just pleading ignorance on this. But a lot of, I can say a lot of the things I try is because I, I didn't study the 15 reasons that a college professor told me not to do this. I hope that answers your question. That No, that <laughs> makes me think a lot. No, that's, I mean, that was, it's, but it's, it's spot on, right? I mean, when, I, I've never thought of that movie in that light and that's such a great movie, but you're spot on. I mean. Well, you remember the famous line in there is, uh, you know, stupid is a stupid. Are you stupid? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Believe it or not, a lot of people ask me that, but I don't want to be cliche and say stupid is stupid does. But I say, oh, let's not call it stupid. Let's just trying something different. So certainly all of your businesses in the light of the last couple of years with the worldwide pandemic, I'm sure have had people challenges. I don't think there's many businesses out there that haven't, but you've also got some other businesses, whether it be the work that you do on behalf of equipment for law enforcement and or uh, training at Defender Outdoors for whether it's home protection or 
tactical or whatever, and then guns and ammo and, and equipment and things that you can buy there that are certainly politically charged items for sale. Sure. Right? Um, just walk us through what the last couple of years have been like, both politically and then also with COVID, just managing the different verticals that you're in. That's a great question. Well, fortunately, when the pandemic hit, the businesses that I owned at the time were all deemed essential except for the gun business. <clears throat> and and Trump ironically passed. So for three weeks, we were, we were shut down. And then uh, President Trump said, well, you know, somebody's ability, this, this could get bad. Somebody's ability to go protect their family and, and protect their property uh, should be essential too. So he immediately did an executive order. And the next thing you know, we're, we're open again. And that kind of, that helped with the way we got in the gun business was we were selling police officers guns because we're, we build police cars and that's where Defender was born. But then once we we started looking at it, we started realizing that, you know, there's all these video games and and everything the like Call of Duty and things like that that get these kids into getting a lot more gun knowledge than even some of my salespeople have. And, and they get intrigued by it. But learning how to respect it and be properly trained on it and, and more importantly, educating parents of a kid that is into that game is I think that's essential because unless you you start taking an eraser to the, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, you say, you know, too many times in America right now, what we say is, oh, let's just throw a Band-Aid on it and we'll fix the problem or rewrite a law instead of actually saying, why don't we train, properly train people and educate people as to the way in which to own or take care of or teach or whatever. And I think that was our mission statement from the get-go. And so with the the political environment today around ownership of guns and just rightly or wrongly, I want your opinion on this, just linking the gun to the mass shooting rather than the person or the maybe the the mental health of that person, or to your point a minute ago, the education of that person. Like, how have you been able to to navigate and think through that? That's a great question. I, I would I would say, you know, to your point, yes, there, there's a mental issue here. There's a breakdown in properly teaching somebody to respect what is a, a certain sort of power. But in the same light, I can I could draw some parallels. It might be a little politically charged, like just like the gun thing. So, okay, we have a, a mass shooting, and so they we got to get rid of all the guns. Okay, well that's kind of like saying, you know, we have a fifty car pileup, so we've got to get rid of all the freeways because they're dangerous, or or it's saying we need to in order to combat homelessness. We need to let the homeless have anywhere they want to live in the middle of a city. I mean, 
these these things aren't being solved currently and nobody's coming up with with other ways and and ironically all these things kind of have the same parameters it's like everybody wants this quick light switch flicking law or change that is going to solve all those problems and none of these problems get solved by that they only get solved by education and so going back to the gun business that is what we want to do is we want to educate people that do you want to keep guns in the hands of only the the powerful and the political leaders or to control or i mean Let's face it, every time, remember in the 80s when we had a, a drug problem and Nancy Reagan came out and said, just say no to drug, you know, we're going to attack this drug problem. We're going to get rid of it, you know, and and it, it hasn't it's if anything, it's gotten worse. And and so, again, it's it's going back to that thing. You you start making everything illegal, then the, it creates a black market on those things and then it gets worse. In America, the reason teenagers gravitate to things is because they're told they can't have them or they can't do it. And that is an education problem. It's funny, you, you, go, to, you go to countries like Germany. You know, I had a German foreign exchange student roommate when I was in high school. And he said, it's so funny. He said, the teenagers in America get so drunk that they literally throw up or black out. And he goes, <laughs> I've been drinking since I was like 12 years old, like table wine. And, right. and I, just like the next guy, like to drop my inhibitions after a couple of beers. And so I can ask out a girl, but I just don't get <laughs> trash drunk like right. you guys. Right. What's the deal? And I go, it's because it's illegal to drink until you're 21. Yeah. So it's it's kind of along the same lines as the gun business. It's it's if you, if you make them illegal, you're only going to make it worse. And I argue that you'll have more mass shootings. Yeah, yeah. Matt, can you can you talk about some of the education when you mentioned the education that you all are doing? Oh uh, yeah, we have a we have a whole range of classes. Um, you know, from intro to firearms to just securing firearms at the house. It, it's not just about the person that is owning a, a gun or buying a gun. It's one of those things where, you know, if you're a parent of a child that wants a gun or wants to own a gun, you know, we encourage you to come take a course on exactly how that needs to be secured from other siblings in the, in the house or, you know, the different ways in which you can work with your son on, or daughter on locking it up. Our best customer, you would think in the gun business that your best customer is the gun guy. That is actually not our best customer. The best customer is somebody that has found themselves recently single, living alone. Maybe they're in a different part of town because they can't, you know, that's a, a, a little, call it a little more dicey or something. And so we come in and they, and they come in all apprehensive and scared and they say i i'm just i really don't know what to do and i'm i'm lacking confidence i'm worried about living by myself and we say don't worry about a thing let's start with a class 
let's start with uh, an instructor. Let's teach you everything. Then we're going to go into ownership after that. And then you can continue to come in and, and gain a lot of confidence in using it and develop a whole nother skill level. Um, but that also comes with you're going to need to invest some things in order to make those secure. You're going to need a gun safe. How many children do you have in the house? You know, so so our business is is that's our best customer. And those are the customers that we want, the ones that we can educate and we can teach them the proper way. And and they develop a level of confidence. One quote that we have at the gun range is, remember, it's the threat of force. It's not the use of force. So when we teach classes, we teach them not, you don't want to shoot the gun. Right. You want to be confident if you were to, but you know, a lot of people think you're supposed to sneak around the house when you hear a, a loud sound or you hear glass break. They think you're supposed to be some sort of James Bond or a, a special services guy sneaking around corners like in a tactical way. No, the first thing you do is yell at the top of your lungs. <laughs> I have a gun and I'm trained to kill and I will use it on you. Get out of my house. Right. And that takes care of 95% of the, the issues, you know, and a police officer will tell you that. You know, one thing that comes to mind, I think it's a, it's a, it's a point you're making, but I want to, I want to double down on it just in the name, like defender. And you think about like going back thousands and thousands of years to like early days of, of mixed martial arts versus like what we watch on MMA and cage fighting today, right? <laughs> right? Like the whole point was not to be able to kick somebody's ass. It was to be able to defend yourself. Correct. Everything in jujitsu is like taking the energy that's coming at you and diverting it, right? Right. And so this whole education piece is not to go knock down the door, it's when your door gets knocked down, you're educated enough to know, right? Don't go sneaking around every corner. Precisely. Turn, turn the lights on and get really loud. Yeah. Right? And <laughs> the education piece is so like this, this memory comes back. So and all my friends, when we started having kids, we started thinking about home protection a little bit differently. Now it's not just you in the home or you and your wife. Now you got a kid in there too. And so we were over at a friend's house and the wife says, oh, I know how to, I know how to defend our house. This is no problem. Like I know where your gun is. And without naming names, the husband said, okay, that's great. So Michael's breaking into the house right now. Show us what you would do. So she goes and gets the gun. <laughs> and like the second that she cocks it back, like the clip falls out, the bullets go everywhere. And it's like, it would be worse to do that and not know what you're doing to your point with the education, than not having a gun in the house at all. Right, right. Uh, so I'll tell you this. So the, the interesting thing, going back to the single person or defending your house, is they come in and the first thing they say is, I want a, a little pistol. And, and uh, so the first thing we say is, okay, just so you know that if we put up a target that is five foot by five foot wide, and then we said, okay, we want you to run 30 wind sprints, and then we're going to give you this gun, and we want you to shoot that five-by-five five target. 
even after six months of training, you might be able to hit that target. So you've got, no one takes in consideration the anxiety and what your heart is doing at the time. I mean, if, if anybody, it, it's like the first time a child is shooting a deer and he, they literally look at you and they go, I think I see my heart beating. <laughs> like, like, I think I can see it in my chest right. and, and, and take that and take it to another level because you think you're actually, your life is in danger in your house. You know, we say, if this is your goal, <laughs> you do not need to buy a gun. We need to sell you like a sawed off 12 gauge that will take out a 10 by 10 area. Right. But if this is something that you want to feel more confident and feel safer, then, okay, now we can talk about that. But again, going back to what I repeat, it's the threat of force. It's never the use of force because all you're going it, to, it's, it's like shooting a bear. All you're going to do is probably wound them. And then we've got an even bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Matt, when you, when you talk about gun education, I, I like I'm sitting here in Chicago in a very different place than Texas. How would you, how would you go about that education in a state, you know, like in Illinois or someone where it's a very different environment for guns, right? Texas, I would say, you know, perspective from me is it's more accepted in Texas. Well, I, I think a state that, like Illinois. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. And I would say this, and this is very tough politically or, or even a lot of people to understand, regardless of, of your polit- political affiliation. But um, you you realize you're emboldened your, your bad people when they know nobody else has a gun. I mean, it's it's kind of like the bully in the schoolyard that is bigger than everybody else. If every kid in the schoolyard all of a sudden overnight, you know, became twice as big as the bully, all of a sudden the bully is not the bully anymore. That kind of is a it might be a terrible analogy. But w- what my point is, is in Chicago, they have the strictest gun laws in the nation and it's not easy to own a gun. Most of the bullies know this and they're not law abiding people. They don't care. They're, they realize they got dealt a bad hand or didn't have parents growing up or in a gang. You know, they they don't have any concept other than I am mad at the world because of what I was dealt. And so I don't care about the law and none of these other people have any way of defending themselves. So it's open season. And, and that's what I think we're, we're seeing. And, you know, I always try to be positive with my kids and say, what we're seeing is a transformation of policies in America. I was happy about the defund the police. I think because, you know, instead of everybody arguing about what's right and what's wrong, I'm I'm happy that the police got defunded all over America in this and and I'm trying not to sound sick, but sometimes you've you've got to show America the net effect and all the crime has increased, especially in those cities that they defunded the police. And so people inherently aren't just good. And and when you get rid of guns and stuff, 
it doesn't, the crime doesn't just go away. It gets worse. And so again, uh, going back to Texas, you know, we allow everybody to own firearms relatively easy. And uh, you hear stories all the time of people defending themselves and, and convenience store clerks defending themselves. I can promise you those same people that have no problems robbing a convenience store are watching that same newscast that says, oh, this guy carries a gun and he's going to think twice and he's definitely not going to rob that liquor store or that convenience store. He's going to think twice about it. And so, again, not to be repetitive, but it's it's the threat of force, not the use. But if you take away everybody's ability to carry a gun or or buy a gun like in Chicago, then it's open season. So kind of adding to that, I mean, a lot of it, this is just my perspective, is is all about balance too. Meaning if there's too much lower class and not a strong middle class, if there's not a middle class and everybody is a one percenter, like the, the whole world needs balance when poverty comes in and recession hits and things get really bad, crime goes up, regardless of of guns being there. So in thinking of that and pivoting a little bit here, so we want to get into some of your other endeavors, in thinking about that balance, like the the entrepreneurial spirit and the service model that you began in the car business and then carried over into Defender and now also have in in courtside in the the pickleball and restaurant business. Talk about the continued diversification as an entrepreneur and some of the other things that you're getting into now. Well, I think I think this goes back to what we said about being curious or inquisitive. I don't think you can, regardless of the business, I don't think you could ever stop being curious or inquisitive with your customers because it it sounds so elementary, but your customers will tell you what they want. You just have to ask them. And I said, so I I would probably say the thing I do the most that makes us the most successful is constantly asking for feedback. I pay people to call every one of my customers to, and then they send not my staff, but they send me an email and it's every single one of our businesses. And it's in some cases, it's every single customer. In some cases, it's very random. And even when we do get somebody that says, oh no, everything's great. We don't stop there. We say, what can we do to make it better? Like you, I'm sure have, you had a great experience, but what would, what else would you like to see? And, and a lot of times we, we get some really terrific feedback. And on top of that, it's the entry level employees that I like to sit down with, you know, once a quarter or once a year and have a dinner and ask them, how can we be better at what we do? And you would be shocked at regardless of age or experience or how easy their job is, they sometimes come up with the best ideas going forward customer service-wise. Bob, you want to ask anything on that? I was just writing down that I need to go and do that. (laughs) No, it's it's, (laughs) a great idea. It's a great idea. And 
And, and my, the by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but my management is not allowed to be at those dinners. Yeah. It's Which not may, allowed to be. There. No, not allowed. So it's just so, me and the lowest level. And it's fascinating. It's kind of like a quiet a, stare Entry off. level, Matt. Entry level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like in the restaurant business. So we're talking people that are cleaning in the car business, people that are cleaning up cars or doing oil changes or stuff like that. Not your highest level techs or your best salespeople that have an ego the size of Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, but what's interesting is when you, when you actually first sit down, it's kind of like for 15 minutes, you could hear a pin drop and, and then you really kind of have to get it going. And you finally, it only takes one. And then after I go, well, that's a really good idea. And they watch me write it down. I actually type it in my phone, but they watch me type it down. I said, I'm, I'm writing that down right now. And then all of a sudden you'll see three more hands. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a contest of, well, I don't want to sit here and not say anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. what I was going to ask you is how do you get those folks to open up to you? Because I think that can be a challenge in itself of, well, I don't want to tell the boss. I don't want to tell the owner this. So how do you get those folks to open up? I I think the best way is to say, I always say knowledge is power. I say the more things that you can cross train yourself on and going back to that inquisitive, curious, uh, be curious, be inquisitive, you know, is, is there something we can do in your department? Is there a new tool? Uh, Is there a new software? Is there anything we can do to make your job better? A lot of times when you start seeing that and then you see the adaptation, well, then you realize you've got much more of a person than you thought you had and that they thought they were. And then all of a sudden you go, you know what? I'd like you to come over here and try the, and and everybody is just beside themselves. Are you kidding me? You're going to let that guy go out and start selling, you know, cars, or you're going to start letting that person be a server. And, and it's like, I think they have the ability to, and I'm not, I'm not going to, tell somebody they can't do something just based off of their their age or any kind of uh, way in which they could be judged, you know, prejudged. So it, it, I look at it as opportunity and I, and I repeat over and over, there's not one person that works here that can't work their way all the way to my position. And, and I've had, just as I left my mentor and started my own store, I've had my management leave me and go start other stores, you know, and that's just, that's just a product of life. You can't get upset about it. You, you've got to say, man, I, how could I argue with that person leaving me to go after they've learned all they can learn from me and go do it themselves. I, when I quit my job before I was an owner, he said, what position can I give you so you'll stay or what amount of money? And I go, well, A, there's no amount of money. And B, the position is yours. <laughs> so you're going to have to quit. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Matt, isn't that, that's, if I remember correctly, a crucial part of your story that maybe we didn't get a start with was 
backing up to probably more of the beginning of how did you, you know, because I think I read you started as a porter and moved your way up in the business, right? So can you maybe talk about sure. you know, your your start there and how that kind of transpired? Well, he was he was trying to get me to come work for him. And it was funny. I, I actually worked at a, a liquor store for an elderly lady that owned this little liquor store over by TCU. And what was great is I could I could do I could study, you know, between customers. So it was a, it was a great job. The only problem is I, I rarely took on my paycheck because I kind of I shouldn't admit that on the podcast, but, but anyway, I was, I remember I was, I was getting paid six fifty an hour and, and this car dealer goes, you know, this is Jerry Durant goes, well, how much are you making? And I go six fifty an hour. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you seven bucks. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, that's more money, <laughs> you know? So, so, I mean, what, what can you do for $7? But it's fascinating uh, that, he started me out when I did. And, and what I really was, was I was, I was moving the cars around, but what he did that was fascinating going back to what we just talked about is he would call me in his office at the end of the day and he'd go, what did you do today? at $7 an hour. And it was, it, it was almost like he was like patronizing me, but I said, well, I'm, I moved all the, the Buicks and I, uh, I moved all the trucks and he goes, well, that's why I actually called you in is my management came in and said he's moving all the Buicks in front of the showroom and he's putting all our best selling trucks at the back of the lot. And I was just curious why you did that because they're all bitching about it. And I go, well, what's interesting is the reason they're bitching about it is because they want the shortest walk. I go, the reason I did it was because. All of your Buick customers, well, this was at the time, not so much anymore, but we're all elderly. <laughs> I was like, and that isn't the best selling stuff. You put the best selling stuff at the back of the store, kind of like a grocery store. They put the milk and the eggs at the very back of the store. And I go, and you put the stuff that doesn't sell well or whose customers are elderly, you put that in front of the showroom. You send a message to everybody at this dealership that it's about the customer. It's not about making life easier on the employees in regards to this, you know, when it comes to where, where do we go? You know, you, you get the gist of it. He was fascinated by that. And he goes <laughs> kind of like, okay, well, what else do we need to change? You know? So, so that's kind of where it started. And then as, as I changed things and, gain more knowledge, then he would move me into another department and then move me into another. I wrote service. I was in sales. I was in inventory management, uh, advertising. I mean, you name it, I did it. You know, you, you made a, an interesting comment at the beginning of the podcast that this, this next generation is smarter. And I, I agree to an extent in that They've they've spent so much time with so much more access to information than we would have gotten where it was told to us or we read it in a book or learned it in class. But in 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 Bob's and I's business, you know, our really our only asset that we have is our associates. I mean, if we don't have good people to handle the day-to-day needs of our clients. We really have nothing. And so one of the things that 
that we often see with this younger generation, though, is that they're they're not as willing to do what you did, which was take <laughs> a 50 cent raise to come start at the bottom level and just work and grind and understand and question and and get in the business, right? And so, you know, thinking about this podcast and 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 listeners, like what would you tell, you know, our kids' generation, like, what do they need to know? Well, I would I would say this, and sorry to use another movie homework assignment. But if you if you ever saw the movie Goodwill Hunting, yeah. here was a brilliant guy that was so smart, and Robin Williams was so clever, and how he he said, if I was to give you the name Michelangelo, you could probably spit out every single one of his works of art. But do you know what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel? Yeah. You know, so I think it, it's talking to this generation is going ahead and. And telling them, say, you guys, you are smarter than me. You know, that's one thing nobody in our generation ever said. They were all smarter than we are, right? I think there is so much we can learn from you. But I'll tell you what you can't learn is the experience. Like what it is like to have an employee come to you and say, I just lost a loved one. And they're saying it's going to be $20,000 for the funeral. And... I make $10 an hour and there's no one else in my family. How do I solve this? That's something that nobody ever teaches you in school. You know, those situations that are heartfelt and it's, do I give that guy a loan to, to do that? And how, how in the world do I do that? And then does that make everybody else want a loan from me? And, and so those are scenarios that aren't in textbooks. They're, they're, learned by experience and people crying and, 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 and talking about having pr- problems at home or different things like that. And, and so I think it's one of those things where the first thing out of the mouth should be, you are smarter book wise than we could ever be. And you guys have learned how to learn at a faster rate than we ever did. You realize what what took me probably two years, you can learn in two months. But I tell you, what you don't have are the curveballs. Yeah. Is is everything that a customer is going to say or do, or everything that an employee is going to say or do, that is going to be the first time in a confusing situation for you. And that's where I come in, Matt. I I moved into my role here a year and a half going to the president role. And I would say I was like, you know, that young, like I got all this fire and all this. And, you know, my CEO has been so great as a mentor and a friend with this, where he would do exactly what you said is he'd say, listen, why don't you slow down? Like, let's think about the broader picture here of what's actually could happen to your point of like the employee. Well, what happens if we give this person a loan? What are the downstream effects of and what else we do? Like having that mentor and that in your life to help slow you down a little bit, I think is 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 a key part of it as well, right? Like for you to go to you and say, okay, I got to bounce this scenario off you and having the environment where they can do that with you, I think is key. I do. And, and again, you have to invite it. I, I like to, I like to tell everybody, hopefully if they've never played chess, 
I say in business, we always need to play chess. Mm -hmm. And, and for people that don't know about playing chess is every single move you make, you have to look four moves ahead because if, and, and that's, that's what makes the better chess player. So I say in business, every time you make a decision, you have to say, what is the net effect? You know, and, and that's a lot of, that's what we see in even our political leaders and, and these people that are elected to positions, they don't play chess. <laughs> they want to, they want to think that they can make a move right now. that's popular and everything. And they don't say, what if I do this? What happens way down the line or four moves ahead? And the same thing in business is every time a young person does come with me to uh, with a um, idea, I say, you know what? That is a great idea. So tell me, what do you think are the positive effects of that idea? And they'll say, well, I mean, we're, we're going to get more customers. We're going to do this. Well, what are the negative possibilities of that idea? And most of the time they haven't thought about it. I was like, well, let's think about it together. And, and so you take them along that route, whereas is just like the young person doesn't have the patience to listen to me. I have to have the patience to sit there and walk them through this process. And it becomes the best decision making process that you make at every level of your company. And so when they're empowered and they're in front of that employee and they get thrown that curveball, they're going, okay, I could do this, but it might lead to this and this and this. So I'm only going to do this right now and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And once everybody gets, uh, you know, addicted to that process, I was like, that's when you get to just sit back and watch this machine operate or go create another business. <laughs> So speaking of what what's on the horizon, what do you got? What do you got cooking in the incubator? I've got cooking in the incubator a a new office building that is going to have some hotel rooms in it, some corporate offices, and then it's going to have an event space that and a rooftop type situation all in one building. I've kind of decided that there's there's really nothing in Fort Worth that is small enough to where you can rent out the whole thing but yet it has an event space that is you know smaller than say the Omni or Will Rogers but it's it's bigger than like a restaurant or a situation like that and I've kind of kind of stumbled in this because of my businesses and I have so many corporate things and different things like that and now I've got a kitchen and a, and a liquor license, all these things. So I'm going to kind of combine it. I kind of got this idea because I just recently took my son to Auburn and I was staying at a hotel called the collegiate. And if you don't know of this hotel chain, it's a really cool concept. But I said, Oh, Hey, can I book a room for the game coming up? My wife and I are coming parents weekend. And they said, yeah, we can, we can book it for 2025. And I laughed and I was like, you're booked through 2025. And he goes, not just booked, but paid for through 2024. Wow. And he said, and we do the whole season 
for somebody has to buy the whole season and then we sell the the nights that they don't use it but we get to keep the profit that we make like we'll give you your money back on that particular night that you paid but if we sell it for more we get to keep that and that's when i was like okay that's a cool concept (laughs) i think i might work that into my office building so so i can check all those boxes so that's that's on the horizon one of the things that we do is is end each one of our podcasts with a question to you and there's the saying out there that it's not what you know it's who you know but we flip it around and say it's not who you know but who knows you and so in thinking about this podcast and this medium is our hour plus with Matt Johnson to to capture your story and your wisdom and your passions and the lessons that you've learned along the way. You know, whether it's it's your employee, you pick, whether it's your employees, your wife and kids, your customers, future investors, whatever you want to pick, like what do you want people to know about you? I <laughs> what do I know? I will never stop doing what I'm doing because I wake up every day and I love it. I I get to choose what industry or what person to go talk to or what customers to go talk to. And I, I think as long as I can do that the rest of my life, I will always be working. I also, I don't, I don't sell anything. <laughs> I don't like to, uh, what I mean is the, the asset part or the companies or, you know, I'm not a flipper. All I like to do is grow. And I always am constantly saying, you know, how can we grow? How can we grow to my employees? I think that's inspiring. I think if you're a flipper or seller, I don't think, I don't think employees, that's not fun to be around or, or work. I'd also say that I often say that you you want to play for a coach that goes for it on fourth and one. You you don't want a coach that punts all the time. And I so I have a, a funny analogy that I'll finish with is I always tell everybody, because football's so big in America, I say you got to think of a financial statement as like football. You're your revenue and your sales are your offense and your expenses are your defense. And if you're a defensive minded person, then you're not that fun to play for. If you're an offensive person and you like to score, then you're a fan favorite because scoring's fun and exciting. And that's why American sports are better than other sports in the world is because we, we have high scoring sports. I was like, the second thing is, is you got to want to go for it. I mean, at the end of the day, people would rather go behind somebody that goes for it and fails because of all the lessons you learn doing it and the the excitement and the charge of of doing that as opposed to punting. So I would finish and say this, don't ever punt, always go for it. Well, Matt, on behalf of of Bob and I and our listeners, this has been a fascinating sit-down journey, discussion, discovery. 
We definitely want to have you back and thank you so much for sharing with you us. You bet. Sure. Thank you, Matt. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.